presented by Blackstone. Hey, good morning, Playbookers. I'm Rogu Munavalin. It's Tuesday. Speaker Nancy Pelosi heads to Taiwan. Plus, we'll tell you what you need to know about today's primaries. It's your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is scheduled to land in Taiwan today for a visit that the entire U.S. national security leadership advised her not to take. There were two developments overnight per the FT. First, Asia stocks tanked. Quote, stocks across Asia dropped on Tuesday morning as investors prepared for a potential economic fallout. And two, Chinese planes buzz median line. Quote, China's ratcheting up military activity around Taiwan ahead of Pelosi's visit. Several Chinese fighter jets flew close to the median line that divides the Taiwan Strait on Tuesday morning, according to a Taiwanese official briefed on developments, in a reminder to Taipei that Beijing's air force could reach the island in a matter of minutes. Military units across the People's Liberation Army's Southern Theater Command, which is in charge of the South China Sea and some Taiwan-related missions, have entered a status of high alert, according to military officials in two neighboring countries. The FT also reports that Pelosi is scheduled to meet on Wednesday with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen. Tom Friedman from The New York Times lays out an impassioned case against the trip in a recent op-ed. You can catch a link in today's playbook, but his big argument, backed up with what seems to be a significant scoop, is that President Joe Biden has successfully restrained China from aiding Russia in its war with Ukraine, and Pelosi's trip risks triggering confrontations with both countries. Quote, To help create the greatest possibility of Ukraine reversing Putin's invasion, Biden and his national security advisor Jake Sullivan held a series of very tough meetings with China's leadership, imploring Beijing not to enter the Ukraine conflict by providing military assistance to Russia. It's primary day in five states, but today we're breaking down a couple key races in Michigan. Playbook's deputy editor Zach Stanton is in Michigan and is here to talk all about it. Zach, how's it going? How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to talk to you. I feel like if there's one state that encapsulates the uh, 2022 primary cycle, it's Michigan. Uh, It's got a little of everything when it comes to the big themes we've been tracking. So let's start with Oakland County. It's become one of the more expensive primaries in the country back in 2020. It went to Joe Biden with 56% of the vote. Uh, The limit the district there is newly drawn. It'll put two incumbent Democrats against each other. Uh, Haley Stevens versus Andy Levin. Stevens is considered the moderate in the race. Um, I saw a poll from two weeks ago that she has a 27-point lead. So uh, what's going on now? So there are a number of factors at play here. So uh, just as a broad overview, Oakland County has really grown in its prominence over the last couple decades and in its importance for Democrats statewide. And what we saw after the nonpartisan redistricting commission uh, set out its maps was that there are now five different congressional districts that have part of Oakland County in it. And one of those is a newly created district that both Congressman Andy Levin, who is the son of Sandy Levin, who was the congressman from the district for a long time, is running in. And Haley Stevens, who is also an incumbent Democrat, is also running in the same district. It's a safe Democratic seat. Both of them come from what are more traditionally toss-up or lean Democratic seats in the past couple cycles. And they both opted to run in this safer territory. And it's been a real sort of knockdown, dragout fight. Uh, where we see a lot of national money pouring in. APAC, uh, the pro-Israel lobby, has spent millions uh, in the race to try and oust Andy Levin, who is the scion of Michigan's most famous Jewish political family, the Levins. They're trying to get rid of him. Uh, They believe Haley Stevens is a better fit for what they're looking for. Uh, At the same time, Andy Levin has been courting 
progressive donors and and progressive national organizations uh, have come in and really flooded the airwaves in the last couple of weeks on his behalf. Uh, we saw in the past weekend, uh, Bernie Sanders made a campaign trip uh, for for Andy Levin. Elizabeth Warren was out here recently. Uh, and Haley Stevens, meanwhile, has been running a really aggressive ground game and seems to have a lot of momentum on her side when you talk to people in the local party here in Oakland. One thing I also saw, too, was that Andy Levin was being supported by a G Street Pack, which I thought was interesting just because, yes. you know, you're kind of flipping, I think, the traditional roles of the demographics, right? It's the young woman being supported by maybe an older lobby and the older man seems to be the more progressive candidate. I don't know. It's just, yes. It just flips everything on its head, I feel like. Very much so. And Andy Andy Levin's been leaning into that. Um, in the past couple of weeks, we've seen him. He was the only male member of Congress in recent weeks who was arrested for protesting outside mm. the Supreme Court. Uh, there was this famous sort of photo op slash demonstration that uh, AOC and some of the other you know members who are associated with the squad uh, and are squad adjacent, I guess, uh, protested and got arrested by police for their protest. Andy Levin was among them. He's been really trying to court this image of himself as, even though he is older, he's in his 60s, and he's from, again, a political dynasty in the mm -hmm. state where his dad mm -hmm. was a member of Congress and former candidate for governor. His uncle was senator for a long time. You know, the federal courthouse is downtown, is named after his grandfather, I believe. Um, and yet, in spite of this rich tradition that he has, he in some ways is trying to try and harness that energy of the young, progressive uh, lefties who uh, he sees as being really influential and important for the direction of the party. And he's trying to carve out a space for himself there, even as Haley Stevens, who is in her 30s, uh, is is running as the more sort of moderate, the more uh, pragmatic, uh, business-oriented in some mm -hmm. way uh, figure in the race. Um, let's go from one dynasty to another. Uh, Republican Representative Peter Meyer uh, of, of of the famed Meyer grocery chain in Michigan. Yes. Uh, he was one of the 10 Republicans to vote in favor of impeaching Donald Trump. Uh, how is that vote playing in his district right now? So one thing that's complicated with Peter Meyer is that his vote is not playing poorly in his district necessarily. It is, however, playing poorly among Republicans in his district. Mm. Mm. Uh, the way that redistricting shook out on the west side of the state, where Peter Meyer is from, is that his district became a lot more Democratic. So it went from being a Republican seat to a marginally Democratic seat, one that Joe Biden carried in 2020, one that is, I think, plus three for Democrats. Peter Meyer, in many ways, has the right profile to win in a general election. His problem is the primary here, um, mm. where he has a Trump-endorsed opponent who is running hard against him, who has a lot of activists on his side. And Peter Meyer has not really shied away from his vote in favor of impeachment after January 6th. Uh, and he stands a good shot if he makes it through the primary of, of winning the general. But Democrats, I think, knowing that, have uh, resorted to the same tactic that they've come under fire for using elsewhere in other races throughout the country, which is meddling in the Republican primary, attacking the Trumpy candidate as being too conservative, which... Mm -hmm. On the one hand, they can say is, you know, we actually do believe he's too conservative, but the goal in making that sort of ad and, and pouring as much money as they are into the race to make that argument, their goal is really to raise his profile and make him seem more appealing to the Trumpy base. Mm -hmm. And that seems to have worked. Um, we don't have an idea exactly how that race will play out, but the mood that I get from talking to people uh, 
here in the state who are really plugged in uh, is that it would not surprise them if Meyer went down. It also wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. them if Meyer eked it out, uh, and we'll have to wait and see. But that is going to be a race that a lot of people are watching, myself included, even though it's on the other side of the state. Uh, one last stop, uh, the Republican gubernatorial primary. Um, all candidates um, support Donald Trump to some degree, but I did see that uh, the DeVos family is getting involved here. Yeah, so the, the Trump-DeVos fight is an interesting one. And in some ways, the gubernatorial race is a bit of an anomaly in that sense. Mm. Um, we had, from the earliest days of this race, all the Republican candidates really clawing after Donald Trump's endorsement. And he didn't make any endorsement until... This past Friday night, just a few days ahead of the primary, when he issued a statement saying that he would endorse Tudor Dixon, who is a Republican woman who whom the DeVos family has spent hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars um, to to support and to to boost up. Uh, She faces a pretty tough competition from uh, there are four other Republican candidates on the ballot against her. It seems to be a pretty fluid race, and it's possible that the Trump endorsement will make the difference here at the end. Mm. Uh, But the polls have been wildly inconsistent in this race. Uh, It's been typical that you haven't seen candidates poll really above 30 in this race. And it's one that could shake out in any one of many different ways. You have Kevin Rinke, who's sort of the relative moderate in the field, has spent uh, millions of dollars of his own money uh, running ads that are trump light, I would say. Uh, and then you have other candidates like Ryan Kelly, who has been in legal jeopardy in recent uh, months uh, related to his role uh, participating in the January 6th uh, events in Washington, D.C. You have other candidates like Garrett Soldano, who has uh, played a really active role in trying to appeal to Trump voters for for months and months and months and claims the election was stolen. Uh, Tudor Dixon has kind of walked around that a little bit, Mm. but the DeVos family uh, has always been very deeply invested in the state Mm -hmm. Republican apparatus here in Michigan. Uh, For them, you know, there is some speculation that their real goal is to make sure that even if Republicans lose in Michigan, that they lose well, uh, Mm. which is to say they have the strongest possible candidate, even if even if they will lose to Gretchen Whitmer, that they have the strongest possible candidate running against her so that there isn't as much of a drag on down-ticket Republicans, so that Republicans in this newly drawn state legislative map, uh, Republicans are able to maintain the majorities that they've held for a very long time uh, in both chambers of, of the state legislature. And uh, that, I think, is probably worth keeping in mind as, as you think about what the DeVosses are doing. I would, however, flag that Trump and the DeVos family are on separate sides of, I think, nine or 10 different state legislative races that are going on right Mm. now, where uh, Trump has endorsed candidates that outright deny the outcome of the 2020 election. And the DeVosses uh, have poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into those races to oppose those Trump candidates and to support Mm -hmm. the Republicans who are being challenged or who are challenging those Trump-backed candidates. And so the Tudor-Dixon endorsement is an odd one in that they're on the same (laughs) side. Uh, And there's been some reporting that part of the reason for that was that Betsy DeVos, who, it is worth noting, resigned from Trump's cabinet after January Mm -hmm. 6th, uh, saying Mm -hmm. that basically that she wanted to exercise the 25th Amendment and strip Trump from power. She realized that wasn't going to happen and so resigned. 
but she sent a note to Donald Trump apparently in the last couple of weeks saying that he really had the chance to to make the difference here and really deliver the victory to Tudor Dixon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems uh, that that may have actually played a role in convincing him to side with Tudor Dixon, who who had sort of the wind at her back at this stage in the race anyway. Politico, Zach Staten, knower of all things in Michigan. Uh, thanks for joining me. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House. At 2.45 p.m. Eastern, President Joe Biden will take part virtually in an event with Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer as she signs an executive directive to implement the Chips and Science Act. Press Secretary Green Jean-Pierre will brief at 3.30 p.m. The vice president has nothing on her public schedule today. The Senate is in today with a recess from 12.30 to 2.15 for weekly conference meetings. The House is out today. All right. For more news on what's breaking in D.C. right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Rogu Munavalan. Have a good Tuesday. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning. What does it mean to invest? At Blackstone, investing is about more than just capital. It's backing visionary entrepreneurs and business leaders, accelerating the growth of their companies, even helping one achieve her mission of empowering women, supporting scientists discovering life-saving treatments by investing in research and building better labs, and helping companies reduce emissions to create a more sustainable future. At Blackstone, investing is about accelerating growth for good. Visit blackstone.com slash learn more.